1: chase thomas podcast. the chase thomas podcast um my nephew needs me to
0: record see i hate i already
1: hate it i hate it all right we're back here on the chase thomas podcast even this on a thursday afternoon that guy on the screen youtube.com slash chase thomas podcast old friend connor Regara of saturday down south connor good afternoon sir how are you
0: i'm doing well it's uh we were just talking before we came on busy time of year got a lot of travel plans coming up the next few days here it was like hey get out of town before christmas and then come back and travel some more so i embrace it embrace the grind but it is a a a chaotic time of year not just in the sec and college football but just in life in general
1: where are you going
0: i will be so i'll be flying to atlanta on saturday and Mm -hmm. then i will be so i'll come back sunday and then i'll drive down i live in orlando so i'll drive down to tampa Mm -hmm for the day on Monday and cover um, the ReliaQuest Bowl. I always want to call it the Outback Bowl still, but I'll be doing uh, uh, some Mike Leach things for Mississippi State. So, yeah, it's a quick turnaround, but it's exciting.
1: Yeah, we're not calling uh, – Matt and I talk about this in the football show here. It's just – we. it's so stupid because we grew up with it where it's like we're not calling it this other brand name. It, it Our brand name is the right one from when we were growing up. It's like the Outback Bowl and uh whatever the fiesta bowl the tostitos fiesta bowl is more of our deal and it's like man it's just different brands i think it's just more of like they're not short easy memorable brands right like we just switched out the outback bowl with the longhorns bowl (laughs) it'd be like fine but you're like reliquest okay these names are just not very good i think that's the bigger problem is not the actual name brand change it's that the new names are terrible and long and crazy
0: so it's funny, I was actually talking to a bull sponsor rep yesterday. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, and it's from and I don't want to call call them out because it's from one of those bull sponsors where you're like, you're probably not going to remember the name. But what mm-hmm. was funny is, and they're relatively new on the scene. Um, you can kind of use process of elimination with all the 42 bulls or however many we have. But mm-hmm. one of the things that we were talking about was how it actually they do that on purpose to get the name recognition kind of out there, and then people mm-hmm. are like, what is that? And then if it starts trending on Twitter or something like that, they see it with the the bowl name association, so they get great value out of people discovering what in the world they are. So sometimes for those obscure brands that you've never heard of, they take over for that ex- exact reason. So all of a sudden you'll associate them with something.
1: That makes sense. I don't like it though.
0: Can I say that? I don't, that? I don't <laughs> like it. I don't.
1: I don't like their game that they're playing here, yeah. Connor. Um, something that I am very curious about. I want to get your perspective on it because. You will get to Tennessee because you and I were both on the Tennessee's beating one of Alabama, Georgia before the season train. And I tried to tell folks it's like it's happening. They're beating one of the two. I think it's Alabama, but they're beating one of the two. And next year, don't ask me about next year. I think they're, they're going zero into next year against that. Um, that being said, the dogs undefeated. And what I've said uh, to this point is that I'm still betting the field against Georgia. And part of the reason I'm doing that is not because I don't want to see Georgia go back to back. It's we've never seen this before. Saban's gone back to back once, and this was in the pre CFP era. I just it it would be an unbelievable two year run where you lose so much defensive talent from a year ago. You just plug and play Um, Stetson Bennett just being the guy back to back years. uh, Heisman finalist this year. Um getting the most out of Jalen Carter in both of those games where he just wrecks havoc kind of like he did against Tennessee in both games. Like that can obviously happen. My gut tells me one of the two, he'll be neutralized and George will have to win in a different way. I don't know which one it's gonna be. my hunch is Michigan. Good yeah, good luck. But there have been games. Like if you go back earlier in the season, like the Tennessee game hurt. and what he's doing, yeah. Like, what if he's not great? What if he's banged up a little bit? Like that's a possibility. What if he's like, I'm gonna be the number one overall pick in the draft. I'm gonna uh, maybe preserve my body a little bit more I don't know, character issues people are saying nah. um, I live in
0: Apopka too By the way, so I know some Jalen Carter Things, and mm-hmm. I know people that knew him In high school, I know people yeah. that played AU basketball with him, some of the Jalen Carter stuff has been very much blown out of proportion I'll just yeah. say
1: that I like it, I, and I just—it's it, amazing when people get really mad about these people that they don't know. It's like, yeah. no, this me. Look, I am over here in Valdosta, Georgia, and let me tell you about why this national pundit is wrong about who this person is behind the scenes. It's like, all right, man, you, you don't know. I don't know. Anyone knows, um. But you have more insight than I do. All that being said, they have not beaten the number two and the number three team in succession yet. Where I've said all year long, I think the four best teams in college ball this year was number one, Georgia number two, Michigan, number three, Ohio State, number four, Tennessee. At full strength, those are the four best teams from top to bottom, I think, on any given Saturday. I think it's asking a lot for Georgia to run the gauntlet that they just did in the SEC and then potentially have to beat Ohio State and Michigan in succession to go undefeated. So like, I'm still picking the field. I don't know which one, but is that fair? Is that, like, is that a fair um, assessment to have for right now? It's
0: fair in that you're acknowledging this isn't normal. Yeah, we've become accustomed to seeing teams have really good starts, undefeated starts coming off of national championship winning seasons. The difference, of course, is what Georgia lost. And Mm -hmm. to me, to think that, and I was, you know, we talked about this. I was in the camp that Tennessee was going to beat Georgia this year. I said, do mm. we really think that Georgia's going to go 13-0 and to be able to get to the college football playoff? That's just such a difficult thing to do in a normal year, mm. much less in a year when you lose 15 players to the NFL draft. You lose eight defensive players. You lose your senior captain to a mid-season, season-ending injury, and here Georgia is. This is the first Georgia team to ever start 13-0. And for that alone, I applaud Kirby Smart because that to me is unbelievable. And regardless of what happens moving forward, I think that achievement in itself should be celebrated. And the fact that 15 of the last 16 SEC champions have played in a national championship game tells me, all right, there there's obviously some sort of proof in the fact that winning this conference means something on the national stage. Sets and Bennett said it after the SEC championship. People hang banners for this stuff, and that should mm. be celebrated. I get where you're coming from. I'm still picking Georgia to win it all. Mm. But what they are doing right now and what they are up against is a very, very high bar to be able to to meet. What Mm. I think has kind of prevented us from being all in with this Georgia team is there's maybe not that one specific thing where we look at and say, that's historic. Hmm. And we're so used to, with recent memory, I think the last four national champions, in my opinion, you could stack them up and say, these teams short list of the best teams of the 21st century that we've seen between 2018 Clemson, 2019 LSU, 2020 Alabama, and last year, 2021 Georgia. And there's not that one historic thing about this specific team. And so maybe it's because they do All of these things good. Their offensive Mm -hmm. line, in my opinion, should have won the Joe Moore Award as the best offensive line in college football. Their defense, even though they've got a bunch of guys that we still haven't necessarily declared household names yet, are making plays all over the place. Their offense, led by a certain Stetson Bennett, who's been in college since the Jimmy Carter administration, is still making big-time plays. and He's playing the best football of his life. Todd Munkin's dialing it up in ways that we're not used to seeing a -hmm. Georgia offense. They have their first top 40 passing offense since Aaron Murray left. They're doing a lot of things well. They don't have that stud back. They don't have a, uh, a Todd Gurley, a Nick Chubb, a Sonny Michelle, these guys. But it's doing all of these things well together that has gotten them to this point. And in my opinion, you're, they're still the best team in college football, and I would still pick them to
1: win a fourteen team playoff. But sometimes the best team doesn't always win. Like sometimes that's just not, uh, college ball is better about this than other sports leagues. Um, where I mean, I think people like to pretend the NFL is a lot more anybody can win any given year than it actually is. Where it's like you go back through the last like seven years, and number one, number two seeds are pretty good in making the Super Bowl in that regard. But there's still only a couple that can win every year, but we can, uh, it's better branding for the NFL that it's like, hey, any given Sunday, and uh, if you just get in, you have a chance of raining the gauntlet. It's Like, well, No, you probably don't. Like your bears your bears don't have a chance of winning the Super Bowl this year. No. no,
0: they didn't. They, they yeah. absolutely didn't. But it's still like, it's it's still weird how in the NFL, you know, my Bears were an eight and a half point underdog against the mm-hmm. Bills this past weekend. Like, it's even yeah. that people are saying they're going to win the Super Bowl potentially. And meanwhile, in college football, you could have a matchup of top 10 teams. Like last year, Georgia hosts Arkansas, and Arkansas is a three score underdog. And that game was over in the first quarter. Yep. And it's like things like that still happen in college football where it just shows you the elite, the separation from those below it. It's it's very significant, and that's what I think the difference is in college football.
1: Um, we'll end on the CFP with this, Connor. Of the two, who would you be more? Who would you bet has a better chance of beating Georgia on uh, uh, in the CFP? Is it Michigan or is it Ohio State? I'm not throwing TCU because TCU's not beating Georgia. We can just go ahead and disregard okay. that one. That's that's not happening. Um, which one of the two would be more likely for you?
0: I think Ohio State, huh? But you know, there's there's a part of me that really is looking forward to the idea, and I'm, not, I'm just saying the idea, but the idea of a Michigan-Georgia rematch for the simple fact that I think Michigan is better than it was last year, mm-hmm. and Georgia maybe not quite on the level that it was last year, and I was at that game in Miami, and it was over in the middle of the second quarter, in my opinion, mm-hmm. knew who the better team was. But in terms of the DNA that you need to, I think, at least stay on the field with Georgia, we saw it in the SEC championship where in two different quarterbacks for LSU, Jaden Daniels, who was not exactly at 100 percent, and then Garrett Nussmeyer, whose reps have been limited at best throughout his college career, those guys combined for 506 passing yards. Why do they do that? Because they're actually willing to take chances downfield and because they have guys that can get the separation. They have a, you know, a Malik Neighbors, a Kayshawn Booty. They have these guys who are able to get behind a secondary when you play press coverage. And when you make mm-hmm. mistakes like Malachi Starks did in that game, then that makes a difference. They didn't make mistakes against Tennessee. There were a few, maybe two, three chances that Tennessee could have connected on in that game, but we came into that saying, well, this is what you need to do to beat Georgia, and I still believe that's what you need to do. You're not going to methodically drive down the field and have these 12-play drives wherein you're converting third downs left and right. That's not the way that you beat this Georgia team with how good this defense still is. It's getting those chunk plays. It's saying, hey, you're playing press coverage on the outside. We get protection one time. Our guy makes a nice play on the football. Let's gain 50 yards. That's the way to beat Georgia. You talk about what Ohio State has working in its favor. Arguably, uh, I know uh, who I'm talking to here. The second best receiver in college football, Marvin Harrison Jr., Mm They have, obviously, a group that is really loaded, even without Jackson Smith and Jigba, and Brian Mm -hmm. Hartline deserves so much credit for that. But they have the DNA with C.J. Stroud to push the ball downfield. Now, where Stroud has struggled is when he gets pressure in his face. And Mm -hmm. when he has to make some off-platform throws, he can be had. I am not much of a C.J. Stroud guy, so that's why I'm not predicting Ohio State to win this game. But if you were talking about the game plan to try and beat this Georgia team, it's trying to take the chances that I think Ohio State is going to be willing to take.
1: Yeah. I mean, they're number one in net yards, uh, net yards per play of 10 plus yards. So they average the most of anyone in the country. Georgia's number 23. So I feel like that's a big one. And then they're number one uh, in scoring with the short field of anyone so i was like going through bcf toys this week and just going through all that different stuff i'm like oh so if georgia gives them some short fields like stetson has a bad fumble or um they get the bad punting night that changes things um maybe that's why tennessee never punted because paxton brooks was quietly just uh, a dumpster fire this year that was like one of the under talked about things when they're playing i'm like never punt i don't know what happened to paxton this year but like never punt uh for tennessee um speaking of tennessee uh connor Joe Milton, like I, I was on Tennessee's winning in 10 games this year. I said before the season, I was like, I would be surprised if Tennessee does not win 10 games with Hendon hooker, a fully healthy Hinden hooker. And part of that was Tennessee was the only team who finished with the top 10 offense last year in the power five that did not win 10 games. You went up and nonetheless the only one and the defense, the linebacking play like all across the board was just not good enough for them to win 10 games. This year I was like, the defense isn't gonna be great, but they're gonna be good at something. And the run defense was really good all season long. And they figured that out. The pass defense just got obliterated with injuries and everything else. But the linebacker play was better. Aaron Beasley was a lot better. Jeremy Banks was really good off the edge. They found something with him um, pressure pressure wise. Joshua Joseph uh, was great. Um, and we'll see what he looks like. Uh, Techie Smith or Techie West looks like he's going to be a really good player on the inside. Like there's a lot of dudes coming in today. Bradley, like, look, you know, you don't have to, you you know, all, all the talent coming in in this class, uh, Connor. But when you look, at Tennessee and Joe Milton on Friday. I've been asked a lot this week about like what I expect. I'm like, I have no idea. Like Jalen Hyatt's not playing. Cedric Tillman's not playing. Darnell's not playing. Jeremy Banks is not playing. I I have no idea. It's a homecoming for Joe, but I think people might be putting a little bit too much stock into how he plays, whether or not he wins. Uh, like if he's the guy going forward, I think the momentum stuff is overblown. I'm like, that's not going to decide if he or Nico is starting week one or even Taven Jackson, who's still in the fold. It's going to be the spring. It's going to be the summer. It's going to be a neck and neck battle. And there are other factors influencing how that competition is going to go, I would guess. But I am curious to see if he hits like he has to hit on some of these deep balls. They were not hitting in the Vanderbilt game. Part of it, you could say conditions. It was pretty horrible, rainy, all that kind of stuff. But like he was still sailing those. And that is something that people undervalued about Hooker is just that like he didn't have the arm strength that Milton does. Nobody does. (laughs) Nobody does. But he put so much air under those deep balls and they were right where they needed to be. They were always in the bread basket. He was so good at targeting defenders in a way that like they just had to either get draw a flag for pass interference or just give it up to Hyatt or Tillman or whoever it was on the outside. I Milton has never shown that and I still like I'm like I don't I don't know. I'm, I'm still betting against it. We have a little bit like it's just everyone is rooting for Joe Milton to break through and I hope he is great on Friday. I just don't know. I am I have my doubts. I picked Tennessee to win, but like quietly, I just don't think Tennessee is beating Clemson on Friday. Um, where, where are you at with Milton and the future of uh, those Tennessee volunteers right now? Oh, boy. Where do we start? <laughs> okay.
0: I don't think Tennessee wins this football game. Yeah. And it is rooted in my belief that Joe Milton, in this stage of his career, probably with what we've seen so far and the systems that he has played in, isn't all of a sudden going to figure it out? And those mm-hmm. listening to this are probably gonna say, well, Hendon Hooker figured it out when he was 24 years old. I'd argue it kind of figured out when he was 23 and the way that the offense looked last year. But I remember you know, even talking to Tavion Robinson, the Kentucky receiver who played mm-hmm. with Hendon uh, at Virginia Tech. And one of the things that Tavion said was, they let Hendon be Hendon. Mm-hmm. And that scheme ended up being something that nobody would have necessarily expected him to play in when he was at Virginia Tech, but it ends up being exactly what Hendon needed. I don't know that there's a scheme for Joe Milton. I, I, I truly don't. And, and I say that as somebody who look, and I don't know that we can call it a homecoming because like he's from Orlando. It's it's in Miami. Like I it's,
1: think it's like 45 minutes away. No, what I read. Not. Is it no. not? Well, I read 45 see. minutes or maybe family and friends are living 45 maybe. minutes away. Yeah,
0: that could be, but he didn't okay. go to high school 45, like it, that's yeah. like a three and a half hour drive, but that's, that's okay. That's, <laughs> a problem, man. that's, that, um, that's just Orlando and me. You know, yeah. Out. But, um, what what's frustrating about Joe Milton is that you hear these comments from Josh Heupel. You hear all these these comments about you know he's really progressing, and I I think he should be embraced for staying at Tennessee and being willing to develop in, into the scheme, not leave when Hendon takes over as the guy. We're seeing guys in the NFL right now who Marcus Mariota, Derek Carr, the second they get benched, they just leave. They just yep. decide I'm not I'm not with it. Joe Milton deserves immense credit for that. Him being the guy, I have no faith in. I don't. I I think you need to be more accurate than he is. If he balls out against Clemson, that would be a pleasant surprise. Mm -hmm. I don't think there is any more pressure on, uh, on any other player outside of in like a non-playoff game than there is on Joe Milton. I think there's a ton of pressure on him and I think he knows it. Mm -hmm. I really do because if he doesn't play well, you have to seriously consider if you're Tennessee or what the portal looks like. That's the way college football works. I, I said, Sam Hartman would look great in a Tennessee uniform. I know the projection was to to Notre Dame. Pete Namle had that like immediately. I also wonder if that kind of raises the price a little bit, if that's why you say <laughs> something like that. And then you're like, mm-hmm. oh, set the bar for Alabama and Tennessee to come in and, and start the bidding war and all that but I don't have faith in Joe Milton just because I've seen a lot of him. And that even goes back to the Michigan stuff. But I think Josh Heupel has this fascination with Joe Milton dating back to when he recruited him when Josh Heupel was at UCF. And this this belief that I can mold this guy, this this unbelievable (laughs) piece of clay that Joe Milton is, I can mold him into the perfect fit in my scheme and something that we haven't necessarily seen at this freakish level all the things that Joe Milton does so well. So that's a that's a very long-winded way of saying that I am down on Joe Milton. I'm here for the Joe Milton experience. I'd love to see him throw a football 110 yards just like that poor orange who died a painful death, but I think that if you're hoping that he's going to be Henning Hooker 2.0, I I would I would very much uh suggest that that's that's probably not going to be in the cards.
1: I don't think it's me Hartman, but I do think because Spencer Sanders is not committed yet. Correct. He is not. Com- yeah. Last I saw. I my gut is that Spencer's waiting on uh, the Milton game where I think he fits a lot of he checks a lot of boxes for Tennessee next year. Um, I think he's someone who would be more um, more likely because they want guys to be mobile. They want guys to move around. Um, they. Joe, the weird thing too, he Hendon moves around so much more than Joe. Like he is, he was using his feet a lot more. I don't know why Joe doesn't. He's a much bigger player and he's much more uh, physically imposing. And I mean, it was the I think Tennessee Tech game where he trucked a couple dudes in the but it's like it's Tennessee Tech. He hasn't shown that he'll do that against uh, the Clemson's of the world. And like you, I just don't think the deep ball is ever coming for him i don't think he's ever going to be throwing it in a way where he's not taking his receivers heads off over the middle i, I don't think that's ever coming unfortunately and like that's the this the crappy part is you don't want to just poo-poo this guy who has done the right thing by staying with this program and really committing to hypo scheme and playing behind and he's just been like the consummate pro and teammate like he's just so easy to root great. for and has just been so close with Hinden and has been great for Hinden. And you're like, everyone here in Knoxville wants to see him flourish. And we all have in the back of our mind, it's like, I don't think it's going to happen. And it's going to it it's uncomfortable because you don't want to be right about this. No one in Tennessee wants to be right that it's not going to work for Joe ever.
0: Can I ask you this question? Yeah. so with Hartman mm. the the mobility thing mm. it would be it would be different, obviously, than Hendon. There are quarterbacks in the portal, Spencer Sanders being one of them, who are certainly more mobile than Sam Hartman. Mm -hmm. When I close my eyes, though, and I picture him in this offense, I don't necessarily worry about that element so much. Mm. I picture how he is more willing than anybody in college football that I've seen in recent memory to hold the football at the mesh point Mm -hmm. and stare at those safeties over the top and think, what are you doing? Yeah, What are you going to do? And in Josh Heupel's scheme and the way that he is recruiting receivers and the way that they have developed, that to me just feels like such a great combination for somebody who, oh, just casually broke the all-time ACC career touchdown <laughs> pass record. Yeah, And to get him in that scheme, I, I bring that up because I would say, if somebody like that is available, as opposed mm-hmm. to the unknown of a Taven Jackson, and obviously Nico, I, I think he's got to be able to put on some weight. I talked about this with Trey Wallace, but we are both kind of been in agreement. Like if, you're, if your design is for your true freshman to be your starter from day one, to me, that's a problem. I've talked about that with Florida, with the Rashada thing, and how I don't think that's the ideal formula. But if you can get a guy like that, Mm. And you just build your scheme around his skill set. And you say, well, we'll take the good with the bad. And he can move some. He's not hand and hook. Obviously, Mm. he's not that. But to me, I, I wonder if that's the upside. That's the move that you need to make if you're Tennessee and you're hoping to maintain that top 10 level.
1: I also think, though, with Sam Hartman, and I think part of the reason that you throw, like Notre Dame was thrown out immediately, is just that, like, there's no competition. Like Tyler Buckner doesn't scare Sam Hartman. Like, there's no one there. It's like the keys are absolutely Sam Hartman's, you're the best quarterback Notre Dame's had since, what are we going to say? Golson is like, just, is that? Oh, he's better than Golson. He's, he's better, is better than, than Golson. but I'm saying like, is okay. he the best? Like at least Golson won a lot of football games. And I Pretty think, I mean, I mean, that's it's like, that's what I'm saying. So like, they'll take whatever they can get. If they can get yep. Hartman in that regard, it's great. They don't have to do the Drew Pine experience anymore. Or the Tyler Buckner is maybe figuring it out. Tennessee, he has to, like, I think one of the things that would scare these kind of quarterbacks who have like one final year is they're like, whenever I make a mistake, they're the Nico chance are coming. Like if I struggle sure. just a little bit, like Nico is there, like there's a looming five-star best physical talented quarterback bet. Like the most talented quarterback tennis he's had since Peyton Manning on campus. Like I'm here. He is like, you see videos all the time. People being like dapping up Nico, like even in Miami, like they're just finding him out and just, just are excited like there is so much like i was in the stands when jo- joe milton was overthrowing dudes in the pick game at home two years ago and they're all just chanting harrison bailey because they were all convinced that harrison bailey was the guy and i'm old just, enough to remember yeah yep. i'm old enough to remember when harrison bailey was all that tennessee was missing at the quarterback spot and i just as someone quite familiar with this fan base i think there is going to be so much pressure On whoever is starting over Nico right away that I think a lot of these guys are like I don't know if I want to deal with that and it's the reality of the situation of just Nico is going to play like I don't see a way Nico Yamaliava does not at least end the season starting the Tennessee volunteers I think he's gonna he's gonna find his way on the field
0: he could. He definitely could. And that 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 part that you bring up about having the true freshman that everybody wants to see, we've seen in recent memory how that how that absolutely can impact guys. Look at the yep. situation in Oklahoma, twenty twenty one, with Spencer Radler, and obviously Caleb Williams as his backup this year. then the way that. Clemson fans just felt so much angst with DJ Uianguale and knowing that Kate C- Klubnick, who Tennessee is going to see this weekend, was just waiting in the wings. And Clemson mm-hmm. fans are just like, "You got to get this guy in. You got to get this guy in." And I wonder how that impacted Florida's sell of a yeah. portal quarterback and them ending up with Graham Mertz. When you're like, "Really? That's it? Like that's that's the best you could do?" But it's like, "All right, well, you've got Rashada. You've got the mm-hmm. guy that everybody's talking about this big NIL deal and you know their high price ticket." And it's like, "All right, it, it's a ticking time bomb." And I do wonder how much that that impacts, uh, you know, the Tennessee situation moving forward. And, you know, if, if they're they're just hoping, hoping that Milton can kind of be that that in-between guy where, you know, maybe you get four or five good starts out of him. You give time for Nico to be able to gain some weight or, you know, we shouldn't dismiss Taven Jackson. We We shouldn't necessarily assume that he's not going to be the guy. He's kind of the odd man out, understandably so, right. like. He's he's a little bit of like that, like kind of Garrett Nussmeyer type thing mm-hmm. right now where he's kind of like the in between guy and you kind of wait and see how that plays out. But yeah, there, there are a lot of very interesting variables at play for for Tennessee. And, you know, who knows how that's impacted by the way that this weekend plays out with Joe Milton, his performance in the Orange Bowl.
1: I would love he's his player caught my remember on 247 was Jordan Love coming out of high school and I was like I wonder if he has the Jordan Love makeup. Can you back up uh whoever it is Nico or Joe for 4 years in college and then just go away as a grad transfer and ball out at like Utah State and get drafted. There you go. That's the plan Taven because I feel really good uh, if he was able to do that cuz like in modern college football I just Georgia fans don't understand this, I think. Going into next year where it's like they're assuming that it's going to be Carson Beck and then Gunnar Stockton and Brock Vandergriff are all just going to be there. And I, I'm not. like, I don't think so. I think Vandergriff or Stockton has gone after spring ball. Whoever's number three in the depth chart is out. Like, oh yeah, no, they're they're gone. So, like, Tennessee is going to lose one of the three. And let me tell you, it's not going to be Nico. That, that is one of the three not. So you're like, is it Joe if he looks like he's behind Nico or even Taven in spring ball? Like, is it Joe that leaves? But I don't know. It will not be those three as the quarterbacks uh, for the Tennessee Volunteers in the fall. Um, You mentioned Graham Merge. I want to end here, uh, Connor. This was like an under the radar, like disaster for the games, I think. Because I've said since Leary ended up at Kentucky, which is another example, I think, where it's like the keys are his. Like Liam Cohen's coming back. He saw what Liam Cohen did with um, Will Levis two years ago. And it's like, oh, I, I mean, I have Kentucky. They're gonna be a they're gonna have a better record than Tennessee next year. Like Tennessee, Kentucky's probably gonna be a 10-win team next year. I'm really high on that. I love Devin Leary. Like he is I an do. exceptional player, and I think they're Kentucky's gonna rebound in a strong way next year. Rich Gangarello, not in the picture. Like it's gonna be a very different the doppelganger's
0: back. We're good. Yeah.
1: The the doppelganger's back. Um I think there's already so much pressure. Six and seven, back to back years for the Gators. I think he has to win eight games to like kind of a piece because you saw what Heupel did in year two. He, a lot of coaches break through. link Kiffin broke through in year two at Ole Miss. I think with the portal and everything else, you are able to flip these teams way faster. You don't get the three to five years to rebuild. And you're like, sure. hey, it's going to be a process. You're yep. like, shouldn't actually have to be a process anymore. And I, if Graham Mertz is the guy for like six games, seven games, like you open at Utah. You open at Utah with Graham Mertz, the Graham Mertz that we saw. Like, I think it's a disaster what happened with Florida. Like, if I'm a Florida fan, I'm terrified. And if I'm Billy Napier, man, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm pretty down on Florida right now. Are you? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, and, and I've defended Napier <laughs> mm-hmm. a lot, and I think there, there are still some things that can happen with the portal and, and some of these spring editions. We'll kind of wait and see that plays out. Maybe they're not even done adding yeah. quarterbacks just yet. And maybe there's this hope. Florida fans are selling themselves on Graham Mertz being Austin Appleby. That's their hope. Right. Austin Appleby, who actually lost Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Uh, the hope is that he is bridging the gap for the next talented quarterback and giving Rashada enough time to be able mm-hmm. to develop in the scheme. And there's this hope that he can just give you give you a couple months, whatever, whatever it may be. And then, you know, of good enough play. And then, all right, maybe one bad game. It's Rashada time. Like mm-hmm. that's the the hope for Florida fans. I'm pretty underwhelmed by Graham Mertz, and I'm underwhelmed by Graham Mertz at Florida. That's that's the difference. Mm-hmm. Because if Graham Mertz is going to LSU, or shoot, even if he's going to Kentucky, who Kentucky's got Dane Key, Barrington Brown, two stud freshman receivers, wait and see mm-hmm. kind of on the Robinson if he's going to be coming back too. But if he's going to a situation like that with great surroundings, I'm like. All right, this is Mm -hmm. exactly what he needs. Get him away from that Paul Crist offense, whatever you want to call it. Get him to a place where you can actually throw the football downfield. It's not just run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, playing 20-degree weather in the last month of the season. All right, let's see it. This guy was the U.S. Army All-America MVP in 2019 for a reason. Let's let's see Graham Mertz fully unleashed. But he went to Florida. (laughs) And Billy Napier's scheme in year one, it didn't give me a ton of confidence from him as a play caller. Florida mm. fans know it. And I'm not sitting here saying like wholesale changes need to be made. He's, he's in over his head. It's never going to work. If you're dismissing Billy Napier right now, to me, I think that's premature. I think people look way too much into year one results. History tells us that it's really just not a good barometer for success or failure. Like mm. what, what happens in year one year, two is different. Year two different. If you can't get, quality quarterback play and if we're still asking these questions at the end of the year about your play calling and if we're still still talking about your lack of depth at receiver which they dealt with a ton down the stretch in part because of opt-outs in part because the cupboard was a little bit more bare than people care to realize but if we're still asking these questions at the end of year two that's bad that's real bad and scott strickland while i don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon usually don't get to make like three football hires mm-hmm. you know and I don't think he wants to do that at all. So I think that's the the big question that we have moving forward. I'm still holding out hope that Billy Napier is going to show that he has the right vision. He beefed up the support staff. He's a different temperament than Dan Mullen and Jim McElwain and even Will Muschamp. And he's kind of the temperament that they need to be able to maximize those new resources that they just got. But, man, I, I have some questions. I have some serious long-term questions about the direction of the program and if Billy Napier is going to be the guy that that many thought he would be when he was hired to take over uh just a, a, a very kind of messy sticky situation
1: what do you think right now with this roster do you think they win seven games eight games what do you yeah. think this is i think they are a seven and five team next year i
0: i had them seven and five this year mm-hmm. and so i like when they beat utah and it, it, it like in hindsight and even in real time it kind of felt like oh man That's at the bar real high for a team Mm -hmm. that I think has some issues like their best plays of those games were like Anthony Richardson doing crazy off platform things where you're just like, all right, this wasn't really the scheme, though. And if Cam Rising doesn't throw that pick in the end zone, we're having such a different conversation about Florida and their season as a whole. But the the issue that I have with saying like, oh, they're just going to be in the same exact spot. I think they're going to do a ton of heavy lifting in the portal. I think Billy Napier knows it. I think he knew it in spring when he made a sort of public call to get more guys to come to Florida in the portal. And I think after seeing the way that it played out in year one, he knows he needs to rely on that more than ever and they need to be able to address some serious issues. They don't have anybody that can bring down the quarterback, which was such a major problem for them, especially in that game against Florida State where Jordan Travis just ran all over them. But I I think that they have some very obvious areas of weakness. I still, the early projection, and that's if they do some heavy lifting in the portal, I'd be more willing to say that they can be an 8-4 and team, but I still need to see a lot more, and I'm more on the belief like this, yeah, probably like a 7-5 and team going into
1: this year. It doesn't help. You mentioned Florida State. They've passed them. They just beat them. Like they got over the. Look Florida at everybody hospital. around them. Look at yeah. everybody
0: around Florida right now. At Georgia and Tennessee and what it's doing, and, and Florida State is doing what it's doing. And the the, the angst that's there with Florida mm. fans, man. Like, gosh, like, LSU winning the, the West in year. Miami's one. top three recruiting class. And Miami's doing what it's like. The Florida angst is high right now, and and, it's and it disgusting. should It should be. It absolutely should be.
1: I um I, I think Florida State turned the corner. You talk about the portal. Do you know who's kicking everybody's tail in the portal? Florida State. Florida State. Yeah. Like that's not a good look for Napier either. It's like Florida State's getting these guys. I mean, they've got every tight end in the portal. It seems like so G-E-Bell, they they've yeah. beaten Tennessee. Out, yeah, and the kid from shorter, what's his name? McCormick. Is that his name? Uh, sure. Yeah, he's gonna probably be a good player. Uh, and I only say that because Tennessee was uh, meeting with him, and you know, if Tennessee wants him on offense, then he's probably gonna be a good player. Um, and also Georgia, stop taking these receivers that you're not going to use like rah-rah thomas they will use Ra rah thomas oh my them. goodness just a waste of time Ra rah what are we doing uh just your destiny was to fill the javante payton role next year as a gap year for nathan laycock like what are we doing rah-rah i don't know who got in his ear but like uh, which one's wide receiver you and which one's tight end running back you? You knew where the true. answer was. You gotta, true.
0: Yeah. I, I liked that fit in, in scheme and scheme and the way that they're going to be able to use him. Somebody who obviously understands playing in zone coverage mm-hmm. and being able to... Because that, that's the way that teams are going to start playing Georgia a little bit more now because they're not going to want to have... One on one coverage with Brock Bowers or or somebody like that. So I I, I like the fit a little bit more so. And they're not teams are just going to like load the box and then play like press man with you know with Georgia having two receivers on the outside. You kind of have to play them zone with with the scheme that Munkin has. But I get it. They haven't had that wide receiver talent. Like I was, who was I talking? I was talking to Jaden Hazelwood about this, Mm. and uh, and Jaden said something like. Yeah like I mean cuz he's from from Atlanta mm. and you know he came down he came down to Georgia or Oklahoma and he's like kind of looked at that Georgia offense and I'm like receivers mm. Mm. i'd rather go to oklahoma yeah. and obviously things have changed there but for i mean that's still the the thing that georgia is trying to break through and be able to have those guys but i i'd love the that addition for for georgia and e- even if you would have gotten more volume with tennessee it's kind of nice to be if, like for Rao thompson they're like all right i'm going to a pro style scheme i'm gonna have a ton of eyeballs on me i thought it made sense obviously it would have made sense if he went to tennessee too
1: what was your favorite playcock uh, reception this year for the dogs Blaylock's what was he torn? They sell like three times. I don't so know, man. I have yeah. a buddy. Uh, mm-hmm. he's, he's been
0: more involved. I have a buddy, uh, buddy who's a Georgia fan, mm-hmm. and he did the the Dominic Blaylock prop mm-hmm. for Saturday for first touchdown. You want to guess what what those betting odds are? What is it? <laughs> it's plus five thousand. Oh my god! <laughs> and he's like, if I hit this, it makes my day. And he's like, snap count is up. Like that's one of those flyers that you just randomly take. But yeah, how yeah, many Blaylock? I still forget that he's on the team because I mm-hmm. still remember watching it. Was it 2018 SEC championship? I remember watching that <laughs> being like, this guy's going to be really good. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, he's, he's year five. He's had like three medical red shirts. I, I hope the best for that kid. But man, he needs a new pair of knees.
1: And Rosamie's Jack Saint, like, what a catch in the end zone against Tennessee. He's broken through. And it's like, oh, wait, that's that was a that was a, that was a kind of same thing. Yeah. yeah, it's the same thing. I just I don't get it. Um, But they don't they don't have to. They have the luxury of just every great tight end. is just like, yeah, we'll, we'll go to Georgia and then right. we're going to just hit people over and over again with our wheel routes with our running backs and just kill you in the flat. And there's nothing you can do um hire todd monken as your next head coach would be my uh letter of recommendation to all of college football stop the madness let's get james coley back in there and get georgia <sighs> football back. That. yeah that's uh that's what i would want uh many are many are saying that that would be the best uh avenue for georgia football connor what can, can the good folks check out from you on the podcast and uh website front this week yeah, appreciate that.
0: A lot of great content, south.com I always tell people it's a one-stop shop for any college sports fan. Nobody gets any work done this week anyways. It's <laughs> mm-hmm. the most productive week in America in the workplace. So I always just say, like, just spend an afternoon just clicking on a bunch of stories. You're like, oh, that guy went in the portal. Oh, this mm-hmm. guy, Trey Knox, went to South Carolina. Missed that one. Uh, good mm-hmm. thing that you guys got that covered on South.com. I always say our news team does such a great job. Um, with all of our news coverage I've, I've got a ton of columns this week georgia related matt hayes is covering a bunch of stuff for us as well we're going to be at bowl games i'll be um, in atlanta for the peach bowl and then like i said um, i'll be going to to tampa for for the relia quest bowl outback bowl let's call outback it what bowl. it is um but yeah but we'll have a ton of coverage well, don't, uh, don't
1: upset your uh your friends in the the bowl naming industry connor the yeah, quest bowl
0: I, that wasn't the one that mm-hmm. that wasn't the bowl exec that I talked to. Um, but there was another one in, in, in involved in a certain SEC bowl that, that, you know, they, they realize that their name is not out there yet and they, they hope for quality games. Uh, we'll save that conversation for, for off air of, of which bowl that that was. Um, but yeah, you'll definitely know who it was. Um, but yeah, we have a lot of great coverage Saturday down Saturday on South podcast, cranking out episodes um it's a busy time of year but man i i love it bowl season is it's fast i don't get much sleep
1: but Mm. you know you can sleep when the season's over there you go connor Agara, thank you as always my friend and we'll have to check back in again soon awesome appreciate it man this has been ingram radio voice of the atlanta braves and i'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the chase thomas podcast as a friend of the podcast i'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one to show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program and If you're an Apple podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way that'll do it for me, but don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at Six eighty the fan and the Braves radio network this season. Go Braves chase. I think I'm going to hear more about you. I really do. I think you've got a way about you that you're interviewing mm-hmm. you're, um